Welcome to the Blue Lemonade Podcast, where we talk to people from all walks of life, hear how they got to where they are today, how Hat Not Hate inspires them, and how they have made lemonade. Hello, everyone. On today's podcast, we are going to be taking a moment to remember our late friend, John Giswold. John was a pillar in the crafting community and a pillar for Hat Not Hate. He is someone that is greatly missed. And although he passed in August of 2020, it feels like just yesterday he was on the She Show showing us stretches. And it feels like just yesterday some of us may have just gotten a call from him or a text. But it has been two years since this wonderful human left us. And now, as I refer to him, is a blue angel above. In this episode, I am going to read an article that he wrote for Out.com and how he found Hat Not Hate to be this beautiful outlet for him. And then I will be joined by his big sister, Roxy, and we talk about our memories with him and how he grew up. I hope you enjoy today's episode. Well, the night that you and I met, I got on board with you when you were talking at Club Coming at the uh, Knit at Night with Josh and, and uh, Brini, and it was also a call to action for me. So I thought, what can I do outside of make blue hats? I can form a group, and I did. I went to the Asbury, Park, or the Asbury Hotel in Asbury Park, New Jersey, and said, can I sit in your lobby and knit with people? And I didn't know, you know, like you, you set a goal and you let the goal be achieved. I can't set what those boundaries are. I can just put the, 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 the banner out there. And we went from five people to 120 people in about a year gathering at, in the lobby at the Asbury Hotel. We've been stitching blue hats. I have another hundred sitting on my bed The article is titled, 45 Years Later, My Homophobic Bully Apologized for Tormenting Me. And it all came from a knitting campaign by John Giswold, published on July 17, 2020. I am a male knitter. Yeah, I know. I've been trying to live that truth for more than 50 years. Not because there's something wrong with being a male knitter, but because of how society views something like that. In 1960, when I was 10 years old, there was a heavy snowfall that was intense even for the northwestern corner of Wisconsin. My mother decided the entire family would stay in and learn something new. She dug into her supplies of metal needles, crochet hooks, and ball after ball of colorful yarn. The whole family would learn to stitch, and we were going to like it. Luckily, I took to it like an addict. While I loved my new craft, I decided to hide doing such a girly activity. This was nothing new as I was forced to hide the fact that I was gay in those days, out of fear of being beaten up or bullied. Because of my knitting and much more, I had constant fears of name-calling, teasing, and being laughed at by others. Those fears became reality as I was soon the target of three boys in my class. 
There was a long list of traits that could have bothered them. Maybe they didn't like that I was bright and overly charming. Maybe there was something they found effeminate about my behavior that they didn't particularly care for. Or maybe they didn't like my sense of fashion, my high-pitched voice, or my popularity with girls. Whatever it was, this trio found me unacceptable and decided to dim my shine. Over time, my bullies had trained me to be fearful of them whenever I happened to be in the classroom, walking the halls, participating in activities, or even just turning a corner. Being physically beaten up, pushed into urinals, and having live chickens thrown at me were only parts of the abuse I endured. There was also the mental taunting. The only way for a reprieve I found out one Friday night was by paying, literally. I paid the boys' way into a local movie, and they gave me a break. Fast forward to 2018, I saw an Instagram post that mentioned a knit night at Club Cumming, Alan Cummings Cabaret Hotspot on Manhattan's Lower East Side. A sexy male knitter named Josh Bennett hosted this group, and my antenna went up. Knitting, men, Josh, multiple train connections downtown ultimately delivered me up front next to the stage where there was only one seat. It was meant for me. Eventually, an energetic, curly-haired young woman named Shira Blumenthal was introduced by Josh to talk about hat not hate. It was a knitting effort she started that involved stitching and delivering blue hats to school kids. These garments would come alongside discussions about the epidemic of bullying in the U.S. As Shira told her story of terror from her own childhood bullying, tears started streaming down my face. The two of us connected that night, and I committed myself to her cause on the spot. I began making as many blue hats as I could get off my needles shortly after. And while I was doing it for the cause, in some way, the work quietly allowed me to practice forgiveness. I needed to let go of the hold those boys still had on me after 45 years. In a bid to spread the word, and contribute to the project, I started my own knitting group at the Asbury Hotel in Asbury Park, New Jersey. I asked the hotel owner if I could sit in the lobby and knit and invite others to join. That first night started with five people, and since then, Knit in the Pit has grown into a group of more than 110 knitters and crocheters, all enjoying drinks and snacks while making blue hats. 2,000 plus and counting. Our group mission is simple, stitch for good. To grow the group, I had been posting about what I was doing and why all over Facebook. One day, I got a friend request from one of those three boys from my childhood. We had thankfully lost touch after graduation. Stunned, I accepted the request, and shortly after he messaged me, with a sincere and heartfelt apology. I hurt you as a young guy, and I didn't mean to, he wrote in a lengthy message. When we screw up, we just need to say sorry. Love you, bro. Reading this message, I wept. After all this time, the little boy inside me, who still was tormented by those bullies four decades ago, 
was finally released. I replied, accepting the apology. When I found out that Hat Not Hate was in a charitable partnership this year with It Gets Better, donating a portion of its merchandise sales to the LGBTQ plus nonprofit, it struck me because the honest truth is I'm living proof that it truly does get better. When I knit, I do it with the essence of people I have lived and loved with, people that influence me still. And by knitting blue hats, I continue to heal and forgive. It's an exercise that's truly allowed a weight to be lifted from me, all while helping to spread an important and ultimately personal message. Hello, everyone. Today, I am joined by a very special guest, and I'm so thankful that she is here. I am joined by John's big sister, Roxy. Roxy, thank you so much for joining me today. Shira, it's more than a pleasure to be here with you today and with all of your followers and John's friends. And John's friends and John. He's definitely listening. There's no question. For sure. He watches over everything. He's got to keep track of everybody. He was a busy man. And I believe that he still is a busy man because his relationships meant so much to him. Mm -hmm. So how much older were you or how much older are you than him? Three years. Three years. What was it like having John as your brother? I've talked to so many people that were his friend Mm -hmm. and that he was a mentor to, and, you know, that made an impact on, but you were his blood. You were his sister. You are his sister. What was that like growing up? Well, growing up our very early years, our, our family was the only family that lived out on a lake, seven miles out of Brandsburg, Wisconsin. And uh, we have a, a sister, Laura also. And so the three of us were best friends because we were the only other kids we had to play with. And that was for 10 years. And we would dress him up and make him dance, but he grew and he just started entertaining people. And my folks would have friends over. We had fun. We enjoyed the water. We tramped around around the lake all day, every summer day we could and spent all winter out ice skating on the lake. It was a wonderful, wonderful way to grow up. Mm -hmm. And then when I was 10, we moved into Grantsburg, the town of 900. And so he was seven and we finished, you know, the rest of our schooling days there. When I've spoken to you about John, you always refer to him, even in the notes that you wrote for Hot Not Hate, you refer to him as Jack. Mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit about that. Yes, he was born John, J-O-N, but my uncle Tom decided to call him Jackie as a very, mm-hmm. very, very young boy. And he grew out of Jackie. And so we had to settle with Jack. And so when he moved out to the East Coast, it was John. And it was, I, I was really never able to make the change, the transition nor were most of the friends he grew up with or family. And when I'd get mad at him, I'd call him Jackie again, just to get even. <laughs> uh, so that's, that's where he is. In fact, on the stone we put up at the cemetery, we called him John Jack. Because when he lived with his Danish family as an exchange student, as a junior in high school, they too, they knew him by both names. And so it's kind of stuck with us, John Jack. Do you know why he made that change to John? 
like why he decided to leave Jack with his family and then make that change? Well, it was making the change from a small town of 900 to New York City, more professional, a mm-hmm. uh, great name to use, a great name to use as a professional starting out in a big city coming from a small town. But he always had big ideas, big dreams, and was always, always a people person. I'll never forget receiving a video of him. I think it was, I think it was roller skating. It might've been roller skating him dressed up in his, in his drag. Like (laughs) what was, what was that like watching your brother just become this shining star, literal shining star? Well, he became that way even in church and Sunday school. He was always the one to stick out in the choir or um, in, in school with plays, taking the big roles uh, in community theater, the same thing. He just put himself into the part and loved entertaining people and loved seeing them smile and applaud. The same with his gymnastics, the same with all the band that we took, all the music. And I think then going into the teaching fitness instructor and teaching and training, he kind of went into the, he had his audience, you know, he needs, he needed that. He did. He did need he that. Did. And what was it like to hear so many people have such connections with him? Because I always talk about the fact that with all the things that he was doing, he definitely wore many hats. There is no mm-hmm. question about it. But with all the hats that he wore, he really, when speaking with you, made you feel like you were the only girl in the room. I'll never forget there was a day before the she show and I was texting him. We were texting back and forth about what we were going to chat about. And I told him I was having a tough day and he was just the way that he was talking to me. I literally felt like I was his only focus in the world. I mean, did you witness that? Did you feel that as, as a sister? Like how did he balance that honestly thousands of people that felt so close to him and then also like he's he's your little brother like hey he was mine first you know (laughs) how did how did that make you feel well I was actually one of those people too though because we were each other's best friends later here in years he would see me online on my iPad in the morning before I'd go to work and he'd have to check in real quick with a text or a message or he'd call And we did that, you know, three or four times a week. And when he would come home here, he kind of dropped all of the busyness and and some of all of those connections and saved it for us to -hmm. share with us. And we would laugh and cry and carry on, but mostly laugh with just memories and old stuff. And of course, applied him about his newest and latest ventures. But he, when you said, he made you feel like the only person in a room. He made me feel the same way. He Mm. made everybody feel the same way. I do think maybe at times it could be a little too much for him even. Mm -hmm. And then he'd call to get my support and that little push, Mm. you know, like you can do it. You can do it. You can do it. So I was just his support system here and also his coffee buddy. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) That's so beautiful. That's so nice that you had that relationship together. Mm -hmm.
I want to ask because it's actually nice because we're recording this episode a little ahead of, I guess, the memorial date of mm-hmm. his passing. And it gives me a chance to talk about him, which makes me happy. And I think that it gives you a chance to talk about him, which makes you happy. But also then we'll be able to listen to this back and have another opportunity to think about him and that he's just, he's always constantly with us. I think about that week. Do you remember that week when he was here and then he was not? Yes. Yeah. What was what was that like for you? Well, you know, the day he died, we had just had all of the fam, the, my immediate family here, kids and grandkids, for the 10th birthday of our twin boys. And that was all morning and early afternoon. And they left and we went out on the deck. And about an hour and a half later, I got the call from Petra saying, Roxy, you're going to have to sit down. And I had never talked to her before. <laughs> it may never matter. And it was kind of a blur after that. I have to say the first week was a blur. And then all the people that on his Facebook page are reaching out to us. And I was overwhelmed and overjoyed. And, and every word that everybody said is still in my heart. And I still go back and look at all of them. Um, so then it was time to, you know, pull up our, my big girl pants and take care of business and take care of getting him taken care of, seeing as how we were long distance, it was COVID, we couldn't fly. And uh, so I, I pulled on his connections, his, his friends and neighbors out there to help us along. And I'm so thankful for all of them that lent a hand in getting him taken care of, getting him home. That's all I can do is say thank you to everybody in person now. And how thankful we are that we can do that, that we can have mm-hmm. that connection. I think everybody has that moment of when they found out and where they were. Mm -hmm. It was because he was such a pillar called Mm -hmm. him. I I, I refer to him a pillar in the crafting community. He was a pillar for me for hat, not hate for so many things. Cause I still, to this day (laughs) will never forget the first time I went out and I spoke about hat, not hate to a live audience. Literally the first time it was at club coming Mm -hmm. and He was there and he came up to me afterwards. And you know this, he came up to me afterwards and he said, I'm going to help you. And I looked at him like he was a crazy person. Like everyone (laughs) had been looking at me (laughs) like I was a crazy person. And I was like, wait, you get what I'm trying to do? And he just got it. He understood it. And in the article, it so beautifully speaks to how he understood it. And I was so taken by his passion. And I love passion. That's part of who I am. And the fact that I think he, he gave me the power that I needed to stand up for myself when people told me that hat not hate was not going to work out. And I think of that he was on the she show on Wednesday as our in-house movement specialist. That's what I named him. Yes. And those were the easiest shows. Those shows always made me smile, even when I was having a rough day. And then just so quickly, how in a blink of an eye, he was gone. I think that I just wanted to take that minute today to many minutes to just remember him because he was that light. 
I know that you read his out.com article. What was it like to see your brother's story in writing? I do not remember him ever, you know, expressing that at the time. I don't know if he shared it with our mom, which, you know, they were very, very, very close him being the baby, especially. So no. So, um, reading it in print was very eye-opening for me. And I felt really bad maybe that I didn't know about it, but we all had our own, you know, just in a a bumpy household, kind of wild, crazy, everybody has something, you know, so it was, we are all in our kind of survival modes to get through school, to get through each day. I was really sad. I was really sad and heartbroken. I wish I would have known. I don't, I would have go beat somebody up. I could have done it being a powder puff football player. <laughs> but anyway, so no, I was sad. But you know what? He did. He wasn't ready to share it back then. He needed to do it the way he did it, to share it that way. And I do remember the day after he saw you at the club, too, because he called me the next morning. And he had a whole new ball of fire deep in it within him, Shira, that just you both pulled it out of each other. I didn't know that. <laughs> I didn't know that he called you. That makes yes. me so happy. <laughs> Any bit of news, good or bad, it was always a phone call. The texts, the texts were daily. The phone calls were big stuff. And you were big stuff. That makes me really happy. Good. <laughs> that makes me happy that he was I'm... even more passionate about it <laughs> and more crazy about it than I was. Yes. And he's passed it on to us. He's shared it with so many sharing what he did with the knitting with the children and, but had not hate and, and, and sack and knit in the pit. Oh my God. That's his, that was his church. You know, to me, that was his church. He did so many things and he made such an impact on so many people. I want to ask, and as per usual, Roxy, I don't send my questions ahead of time. So if you need to right. take a minute to think about this, okay. <laughs> you said you didn't know his story and you felt bad that you didn't know. And of course, if you could go back in time, you know, you'd go and beat up people yeah, and yeah. be that big sister. What would you say to siblings out there now, young or old? to make sure that they're in touch with their other sibling? What would you say? Well, now that I'm 66 years old, I would say, don't hide it. Don't keep it. It, it just, something so negative will keep that inside of you. And it's just going to fester into something maybe worse. People can become suicidal because of bullying, not just drugs and alcohol or mental illness. It can be bullying. So share it, share it with either one trusted sibling, your parent, a cousin, anybody that that will be your support. But there's help out there now. Back then, it wasn't a big deal. It was just part of life, you know, in the early 60s. And it shouldn't be, it shouldn't be anybody's life. Just like when he came out, you know, we all had a good idea, you know. And yet it was so hard for him to do as a 17-year-old to tell us. I am just so in the mood of being so open with people that, and tell them like it is that I, I get in trouble for it sometimes. And I don't really get, you know, sometimes people don't like what I say because it's, 
it's out there. But the more you talk about it, the less of a stigma there is put along with it. I'm gonna just try and pick up the torch a little bit maybe where he left off because I'm still making my hats on the loom. I love it. Keep <laughs> making those hats. hats. <laughs> Keep making those hats. And I've got a girlfriend of mine making them too. So anyway, I just, just don't keep it bottled up inside. Go to a professional tool. I made sure that my kids as teenagers knew through our insurance company. I made one appointment with a mental health counselor for each of them. So they had a business card to call somebody that was professional if they feel they couldn't talk to me. You're a good woman, Roxy. You're well, really- he made me that way. He helped make me that way. But, you know, I want to say the best gift that he and my brother-in-law, Mark, ever gave to me was the gift of acceptance to my kids growing up with Uncle Mark and Uncle Jack. And they never questioned, why doesn't he have a wife? You know, why doesn't he have children? They've grown up to be such wonderful young people with none of those stigmas. I'm proud of them too, but he gave, they gave them the gift and it was a gift to me too. That's beautiful. Roxy, thank you so much for joining me today and for crying with me of joyful <laughs> tears. Absolutely. And for giving us something to think about and that treat every day as full as it is. Mm-hmm. You never know what will be for tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And I think that John lived his life like that. Yes. Every day was full. Every day, overflowing. Overflowing. (laughs) He had an overflowing glass of lemonade. Thank you so much, Roxy, for joining me. You are an absolute star. And to everyone out there, cheers. Compassion and love. And I want to share one thing. We had an event last night and I got more of those hats. And one of my members gave me based I remember on, when you were right and I know that sometimes our when we when we're working towards a goal and we're trying to get to that finish line and we're really tired her card made me cry it said to the world you may be one person but to one person you may be the world so true and I was just so heartwarmed and you know the the movement of our hearts and the movement of our hands can move the world. And you do that. And I want to just really pat you on the back and give you such a big hug because I know when you get to the finish line, you're tired. It feels like you're just running on, on sticks. And I just really want to send you the most love from everybody watching because you have moved the world. And I, I just need really to give you that hug because I wouldn't have this if it weren't for you. And my group wouldn't have us if it weren't for you. So, you know, I just want, I want to thank you for giving me an opportunity, letting people be heartfelt. And I love you.